0: of a festival is called the Feast of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. Um, The Jewish people would call it the uh, Week of Sukkot, which was a name of um, the tents that they would make. And this goes back to Leviticus 24, uh, I'm sorry, 23, where God instructs them through Levitical law that they're to hold this festival for seven days. And in the seven days that they hold it, they're to be in tents. And it was normally Uh, in the fall of their year, in their calendar year. And it was a time of great joy, a time of harvest. It's when they thanked God for all of His provisions. They were thanking Him for the provisions to come. It was a great time. It It was probably the most joyful of all the festivals and the feasts that the Jewish people would have. And they did this year after year after year. The priests would dress up in all of their priestly garb, and they would have these great ceremonies. And one of those was the leading of the water vessels from the Pool of Siloam. They would take it from the Pool of Siloam or the Fountain of Siloam, and they would carry these vessels through the city' streets, with music playing and fruit being carried on sticks, and this living waters, because they thought that water in the desert brought life, and of course, they hearkened back to their days in the desert, where water came forth from the rock. If you were to live in the Middle East, you were to live in the desert, you would understand there's no greater blessing than you might have physically than water. And so they would bring these big water jars from the Pool of Siloam, bring them to the altar, and they would pour them out on the altar. And this would go for seven days, this um, ritual of, of doing such a thing. So it's in the context of that on this last great day and the pouring of the water that represents the provisions and the grace and the blessing of God that Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and He yells, it says, He shouts at the top of His voice to the crowd, come to me all who are thirsty. And now it makes sense what He's doing. Come to me, all who thirst, and I will give you a drink. A drink of what? A drink of me. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We're in our series, Promises of Power and an Invitation to Believe. Well, to believe what? To believe the promises and the commands that God has given us to apply them to our life that we might live in the context of the promises of Christ and be obedient to them so that we might know abundant life and what it means to be those who are the people of God glorifying God. One of the things I so dearly love about the Old Testament are the festivals. And how God made these celebrations for us. For us to remember him. To recall him. To, to look back on his provision. And I think about how each and every one of us. Whether we're believers or not. Come hardwired for a party. Have you ever thought about that? Whether everybody. Most everybody I know. Likes a party. Even if it's just a party of two. They like the idea of celebrating. Think of a wedding anniversary. What's the point of the anniversary day? The day is, is to go out and to celebrate, to have fun, to enjoy that God brought these two lives together and made them one. Think about a fraternity party in the context of that, if you can. Isn't it the gathering of people that are like-minded and have one thing in mind? I want to feel joy. I want to experience some fun i want to have joy think about a birthday party the birthday party the same way as we celebrate the birth you and i come hardwired to celebrate things to have parties to enjoy one another to be in community in the context of that and to celebrate doesn't it cause us to sometime ask the question why Why was I made to celebrate? And what kind of celebration am I really made for? You see, the fraternity party, the non-believing party, it understands it's looking for something. But it comes up empty. Eventually, it leads to a thirst that cannot be quenched and the realization of that. One of my favorite movies in the past has been Joe Versus the Volcano starring Tom Hanks. Many of you've never heard of it. It was so good that the critics ignored it. But there's a scene in there where Tom Hanks has been at sea, marooned at sea for I don't know, a week or so and he's he's dehydrated, he's about to pass away. And he, all he needs is water. And he's been giving him the last drop of water that he has to his companion. And he hasn't been drinking at all. And you realize this man is dying of thirst. moon rises up over the ocean and he, he says this prayer to God. I want to thank you for my life. It was in that moment when I looked, the moon coming out over the ocean. There on this man-made raft of luggage out in the middle of the water. And here's a guy dying of thirst. And yet there's water all around him. How ironic. But you see, if you drink seawater, if you've ever been in the ocean you drink seawater, what does it do? It makes you more thirsty. And it only dehydrates you faster. And don't you see, we, you and I, live in a world where people are thirsty from drinking water that is not the right kind of water. They're drinking from a well that can only make them more and more thirsty. And Jesus says here, look at this festival. Look at what's happening with this water. Look at what it represents. Look at how you were made to celebrate and realize this, that I am the living water. That I am the one who can sustain you. That I'm the one that can bring you life. I'm the one that can satisfy you. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Because Jesus is proclaiming He is the consummation of all things that we long for. That everything that we do at a party, every well that we drink from, everything that we seek in life, everything that causes us to come up empty and thirsty can be found with a satisfaction in Jesus. And of course, Jesus knows that because Jesus made us. And he made us to be thirsty so that we could be quenched by him and him alone. These are interesting verses that Jesus gives us this command. I want you to look at it with me. The command here is to come and drink. Come to me and drink. Three things come, drink, and then believe. And this is the command, this is the promise of Jesus that if you will come, you will drink. If you will believe, you too will be filled with living water. What does it mean to come to Jesus? There's a a a way that we have done communion in the last several months here, um, where we have come up front. There is a purpose in the coming up of front. It's not just to do something different, but it's a recognition. It's a thing that we do to say, I want to come to Jesus to be fed. I want to come to Jesus to receive drink. You see, there's a real need in us to recognize we need Jesus. And Jesus is telling the crowd in this context of these scriptures, understand, recognize, I'm inviting you because you need me. Because all of your festivals before, all of the things that you do in them, everything that you have attempted in your life, you must understand they point to satisfaction in me. And unless you come to me and recognize your need for me, you will never be satisfied. Think of the circumstances in your life right now. Those places where you feel empty. Those places where you might feel like, gosh, I'm looking for more. The questions that keep you awake and going, is this really all there is? Those times you've gone to the funeral and thought, what's the point? Jesus tells you this morning, come to Him, He'll show you the point. Come to Him. He'll satisfy the questions. Come to Him and recognize that He is the Lord of life. And that apart from Him, there cannot be abundant life. And He beckons you, some of you, even this morning, come to Me. Come to Me, all who are thirsty. Recognize your thirst. Recognize your need. And then come. And then do what? Drink. Oh, it reminds me of the scriptures in Isaiah, where it talks about the new day to come, when people of the Lord will come without money and get drink. Without money, they would buy food. And these are the glory days that are that Isaiah prophesied about, and the reality is found in Jesus when He says to the crowds, "Come and drink. I, it costs you nothing except the joy of satisfaction. It will cost you nothing but life. Come to me." And receive from me that which is free, my flowing grace for you. Drink of it. Take it. Make it you. Make it yours. Ingest it. Make it part of your life. Isn't it important that you and I recognize, first of all, we're thirsty, that we're in need, but isn't it a relief to know that there is a quenching of our thirst? That there is one who can give us something that will fill that hole that was in us? with living water he says and the third part of the command is this believe it's one of the most misunderstood words in scripture the idea of belief many of us think that we're believing because we give assent to a reality we acknowledge that something or someone exists therefore we believe I want to tell you something. That's a disastrous way of thinking of your belief in Christ. Let me give you an illustration of this. I know a doctor. His name is Peters. I see him in the phone book. I've read his name in the phone book. I understand he's got great qualifications. I've looked him up on the web. He's uh, he's honored. He's board certified. There's, there's just so many magnificent things about him. And you know what? I believe he's a doctor. I believe he's a highly qualified doctor. But you know what else? He's never operating on me. And by that statement there, I say, I believe, but I do not entrust. And many of us have that relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Oh, I believe Jesus. I believe He existed. I believe He's historical. I believe He's the Lord of the Bible. I read about Him, and I enjoy Him, and I know He's highly qualified to be the Messiah. I I assent to all of those things about Him, but I am not going to trust Him with my life. This word believe here is a Greek word that means entrustment, the turning over to, the reliance upon, the acknowledgement of lordship over one's life. And what Jesus is saying, if you come to me and you want drink, then you really better believe I am who I say that I am and that I will do what I say that I will do. You cannot water him down. We cannot manufacture a new Jesus that's palatable to us. We must look at Jesus, how He presents Himself to us and receive that and believe upon Him as the Lord of our lives and the God of the church. Do you believe that? Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? Have you entrusted the life of your loved ones to Jesus? If you have, then you will know that there's a sense of peace growing in you. There's a sense of release, a sense of freedom, a sense of joy. There's a sense that you realize He is God. He will take care of me and He will take care of everything in the future. Have you turned the church over to Jesus? Have you said, Lord, this is your body? This is your church. Do with it as you will. Let me ask a question rhetorically. No one needs to answer. But what's so frightening about that? What's so discomforting about that? Because listen to the second part of this, the promise, the invitation to believe. Jesus says this, that if you will do this, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. If you will come to me, drink of me, believe me as the scriptures have presented me, then from your life... And from the lives of those around you will come fountains of living water. Of course, we realize what Jesus is saying here is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was given on the day of Pentecost was what he was talking about. That it had not been given yet, it says, but because Jesus had not been glorified. But after his glorification on the day of Pentecost, all believers through the apostles were poured out by the Holy Spirit. And so that we understand today, every single person who has come to Jesus, who has drank of Jesus, who believes in Jesus, has also experienced the incarnation And the incarnational life of the Holy Spirit, which indwells each and every one of us. And the power of that is living water that will come forth from us continually over and over and over again. The language here is very interesting. He who believes in me, as I've said, as the scriptures said, his heart, this word for heart is the same word where we get the word womb It's as though Jesus is saying, If you'll come to me and believe, I will impregnate you with living water. You will bear forth life. You will bear it into the world. You will become life giving people. Is that the power in your life today? You may acknowledge that it could possibly be true, but understand the reality that if you have done these things, that is you, that is your identifier. You are truly the birthplace of living water on the earth right now, today. It is the power of East Glenville Community Church that there is a collection of people in here who have truly believed in Christ and therefore been filled with this living water for the purpose of spilling and pouring it out upon the face of East Glenville, New York. It won't take hard work on your part. It will take the entrustment of your life that the Spirit will give you the power to do it with. An invitation to believe that you have been filled with that power. An invitation to say, I believe you're more than just a doctor. I entrust myself, O Jesus, with my life to do surgery on me. I no longer look to drink from the ocean of saltiness but I come to that one pure fountain in the universe your heart and I believe Jesus that if I drink of you you will fill me with the power of these living waters and that I will know abundant life we hold Christ in one hand and our lives in the other do we not We hold Christ in one hand and our jobs in the other. We hold Christ in one hand and our families, our schedules, our livelihood in the other. And what Christ says is, come and take all those things that you're holding apart from me and entrust me with them. And I will make you a fountain of living water. You and I are the the wombs of the Holy Spirit. We birth the Holy Spirit from us. And the way that this verb is expressed, it's a present and continual verb. It means from now and onward, you will birth the Holy Spirit, this living water, forth from you. That it's not a one-time event. It's that we are filled and overflowing always. That we have the power of God. As Ephesians 1 would say, that the very power that resurrected from Christ from the grave is the very power that indwells you and me. Do you believe that? Or do you just assent to that? You see, if you don't, then you're still holding part of something in one hand And Jesus in the other. Back during the Crusades, the knights had a ritual of being baptized. Each knight had to become a Christian to go on the Crusade. And they would be baptized there. And in their baptism, they would be immersed, but they would hold their swords out of the water. And what they were saying was, is my life is for God, but my sword is for me. What are you withholding? What are you holding up out of the air and saying, God, I give you everything but what's in my hand? You want to know peace? Bring it to Christ. You want to know what it is not to worry? Bring it to Christ. You want to know what it is to begin a day of healing? Bring it to Christ. You want to know what it is to have assurance of eternal life? Bring it to Christ. You want to know what it means to walk through your problems and not be stopped by problems? Bring them to Christ. You want to see your frustration level drop? Bring those things that frustrate you to Jesus and say, Do something. Let me give us three quick things to do. Four, really the first is this possibly you've lived in the world of assenting and yet entrusting repent don't think you're alone in that I repent every day from that very thing sometimes I repent two three times a day okay three times an hour But it's what Martin Luther would instruct us in, that all of life is repentance. That we are continually to be turning ourselves to this gospel of Jesus. We are continually to come to the fountain of living water. We are continually knowing that we are fully filled with this fountain of living water. But we must come to the gospel to be reminded, I am filled with this power. There's nothing wrong with you coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I forgot. But come, and He'll remind you. Uh, You're mine. You have the power. You have living water. For some of us, it's the transition of moving from being characterized by just assenting to truth versus entrusting the truth. The second thing is this. Learn to trust Jesus with real life situations. Learn to trust Jesus with real life situations. Not just hypotheticals. Not just the what ifs. But trust Him at the grave. Trust Him in the doctor's office. Trust Him in the broken household. Trust Him with the low bank account. Trust Him in the foreclosure. Trust Him in the aging. Trust Him in the youth. Trust that He's there with you. That He's walking there. That He's in their shoes with you. And that He's giving you the power to walk through them so that you will know you are living water. I'm reminded of a woman I knew back years ago who was in the doctor's office and had a reoccurrence of her cancer. And she said that she was in there feeling sorry for herself, wondering why her again, why a second time. When the Holy Spirit impressed upon her, Carly, won't you let me touch you one more time for my glory? You don't know what I'm going to do with it, but won't you trust me enough to touch you one more time to bring myself glory? We forget, don't we, so quickly that that Jesus is chosen by His own free will to receive glory, glory, from the way we walk through our real life problems. He doesn't tell us to deny them. He doesn't tell us to stick our head in the sand. He tells us to face them with living water and with power and with the assurance that He is with us and that He will take glory from it, no matter what it is. Thirdly, you and I must learn to call out to the Holy Spirit for power in these real life situations. Sometimes I'm asked, Pastor, am I supposed to pray to God the Father? Am I supposed to pray to God the Son? Am I supposed to pray to God the Holy Spirit? Pray to all three. They're all one. I want to tell you, there's times when I need power. There's times when I need conviction. There's times when I need encouragement. There's times when I know I need someone, something in a situation more than myself. I cry out, Holy Spirit, God, help me. Empower me. Show me who I am. Let me entrust myself to you so that I can accomplish what you've called me to do. And when I take that step of faith moving into it, guess what happens? God shows up. Not once has He failed to show up. Oh, He may take a day or two to let me know. But he's just stretching my faith. But he always shows up. There's nothing wrong with you crying out, Oh God, Holy Spirit, empower me. Help me. Show me who I am. Help me to identify the situation. Give me wisdom and the power to apply that wisdom to my situation. It's why he's in you. To help you know who you are in real life circumstances so that you can accomplish things for the glory of God. And then lastly this morning, you and I are instructed in this command that we are to pour out this living water to those around us. That we are to be fountains of life. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself more as a fountain of life or a fountain of discouragement? What are you speaking into the lives of other people? Well, the Scriptures instruct us that we're to speak words of encouragement and upbuilding and lifting and unifying and those things which are helpful. I don't know why so often we feel like we're supposed to speak words of discouragement and criticism and anger and those things which tear down. Now hear me clearly, I'm not talking about constructive criticism. I'm talking about critical hearts. How do you know the difference? Critical hearts have the objective of bringing unity. Critical critical hearts bring disunity. Constructive criticism brings unity. Critical hearts bring disunity. What's in the wake of your life? Do you find a wake of disharmony and disunity and separation and things falling apart? Or do you find things building up and lifting up? And maybe there's the place where the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, "Let me change your heart and your view." Because you're living water. You're to bring life. You're to bring unity. You're to bring peace and joy. You all remember the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Long-suffering, right? Is that the wake of your life? If not, then you and I must repent. Start all over from the very beginning. Learn to trust the Holy Spirit. Call out to Him. And trust Him with real-life situations. Call for power in those real-life situations. And then pour out living water to everything around you. I came to Jesus not because I heard the gospel. Because I saw and I experienced the gospel. It's a famous line that many unbelievers will tell you along the way. That they came to Jesus... Not because they heard the gospel, but because they experienced and saw it. Who are you? Who am I? Who is this church? If not the powerful people of God filled with living water to pour out on this community. You know the difference between the Dead Sea and the Red Sea, right? One has flowing water, one has water pouring through it, and the other sits and is stagnant. It's a great illustration of the church. If you and I are busy about pouring out living water into the community in which we live, we will find more life and more abundant life and more living happening. But if we stay stagnant and we say, this is our place, our club, let us sit in our pews and let us have our own lives, let us hold one in one hand and Jesus in the other, then guess what will happen? Eventually you will die. The opportunity and the invitation to believe is before you. Will you entrust him? Let's pray.